A reading from Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings, like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That can only come from you. We pray this in the name of the one who is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. 
Happy day after Christmas. You are the faithful remnant. Welcome here. Uh, everyone have a good Christmas? I heard from some of the kids. Uh, well, my family is taking a week off starting uh, Tuesday. I'm not going to Idaho, somewhere a little bit warmer here in Atlanta, but I hope and pray that you get some time to kind of bask in the afterglow of Christmas. And uh, yeah, I love this time of year. I love kind of this last uh, Sunday of the year, the first one after Christmas. But I got to confess, it's always a little bit bittersweet for me. Um, it's you know it comes after the, the one of these high watermark events of the year, the the singing of the carols, the songs, the candlelight. All of that is so beautiful and. You know, even in our culture, like, we've got to wait a whole another year. Um, got to wait for the, the crazy songs to start up again. Got to wait for another year to find out where all the Christmas movies are going to, you know, come and take us next year. Got to find out one year from now how that princess is going to get switched one more time on Netflix. Got to wait a while for that. But I think that bittersweet sense is always a little bit more acutely felt in the church because we always live in the season of Advent, in a sense. We always live in anticipation for the coming of our King. We always live waiting for and grasping after the hope that He has come. And then we're here to come on this day to proclaim that yesterday was a day that everything changed. But then you wake up the next day and you wonder what really has changed. Headlines still look the same from last year. Same disease, different Greek letter this time, but it's the same old thing. And I got to wonder if the thought ever occurred to Mary and Joseph as they went home by a different route. Did, did things really look all that different to them? The Gospels actually have a pair of epilogues to the Christmas story, and we're going to pick up this morning on one of those, starting with Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. So you get a bonus scripture reading this morning. Listen carefully, for this is God's Word. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus in to do for him what was the custom of the law and what it required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. 
And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Again, friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as Luke sets the scene, Mary and Joseph, they they hung around Bethlehem for a little bit after Christmas morning, and they went to the temple to do all the things that was the custom of the law. All these things were just kind of the the ordinary rituals. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of a covenant. They went up to the temple to make their sacrifices. Ordinary things, just the, the kind of common things you would do if you were a first century Jew. It was almost as if life kind of went on per usual after the miracle of that first Christmas morning. An ordinary family doing kind of ordinary things. Just like we all did yesterday. We had our ordinary rituals that we are a part of. Jill and I were married 17 years ago. And one thing that I remember very clearly in premarital counseling was... Uh, the counselor was talking to us about the importance of what it was going to be like when you have two people from two very different backgrounds uh, and how you blend those rituals and celebrations that go into kind of major holiday events. You're starting a new life together, but you are not starting it from scratch. Uh, You know, grandpa is still in there somewhere, and grandma is still in there somewhere. You start with generations of traditions that kind of went on before you and ritual acts that are sometimes very different from your own coming from the other side of the marriage. It can be a little bit disorienting when you think about it. Anybody relate to that? Anybody have some sort of strange rituals that your spouse or... Nope, just me? That's cool. Well, my family would always eat chili on Christmas Eve and, uh, you know, then sit uncomfortably through Christmas Eve services. I don't really know why we did that. Uh, Jill's family, on the other hand, ate Chinese food. Major upgrade that we have adopted in our family. Uh, my mom would always be in the habits of you know, having uh, the baby Jesus hidden from the manger until Christmas morning. Jill's family, on the other hand, they put the child in there right after Thanksgiving, like barbarians. <laughs> Late... Uh, Historian Yaroslav Pelikan said that the only, uh, the only exchange for tradition is bad tradition. And that was a bad tradition, I think. Um, how many of you have you know, family rituals and traditions at your house? Come on. Okay, good. Some of you. How many of you light an Advent wreath? All right, okay. How many of you decorate your house uh, and your Christmas tree right after Thanksgiving? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you wait and you don't really have a specific time for that? Okay, the house is kind of evenly divided on that. Uh, How many of you take it down before New Year's Day? A couple of you. Okay, how many of you are still just kind of like turning off the lights that you hung up a few years ago and that's kind of how you do it? (laughs) Mike, that's that's how it rolls in your house? Okay. How many of you are Christmas music out? Oh, okay. And how many of you are like, no, there are 12 days of Christmas. Let's keep this thing going. You guys are my people. All right. Well, hopefully we all have some rituals that kind of bring us into the Christmas spirit. Every year at the church that I went to when I was young, I remember very clearly there was a performance of O Holy Night. Um, I don't remember much else about church as a kid, but that is kind of seared in my memory. And when I talked to my mom yesterday, she said it was seared in her memory too. 
And the rituals aren't just things that we do. They are something that does something to us. They are our way of getting the story into us. Mary and Joseph, and they're kind of making this journey, no room for them in the end. The, the shepherds, they, they keep watch by night. The wise men, they come from, from afar. They lay their gifts before the newborn king. It's a story that is as familiar as the rituals. And the story hasn't changed. We know it by heart. It's familiar to us. The miracle that takes place at Christmas is wrapped in familiarity. As ordinary as a newborn wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so maybe it's fitting that there are epilogues in the Christmas story from Matthew and Luke, and they show Mary and Joseph kind of getting life back to normal. You have to wonder if in the midst of all the rituals and all the things that they did, they ever had the thought, man, isn't life supposed to be different than this now that the child has come, now that the child is born? We no longer have to chase after hope. He's here. But what really feels different? Well, as they go up to the temple, right in the middle of their worship, they are cut in on by a man named Simeon who takes one look at them, takes one look at the child, and says, Now I can die, for my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. A woman named Anna does something very similar just a few verses later, as if to say that you know, the first one was a little bit too subtle. And I think that's what we want to have happen at Christmas. We, we want something new to take place. We want something out of the ordinary to, to come at us from outside, to cast the story in a new light. We want to see some new light break in from heaven to give us a fresh sense of wonder. And maybe that happened for you. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it was just the same old thing. You find that you can't abandon the rituals, though, because, again, the only replacement for tradition is bad tradition, but you're hoping for something more. Mary and Joseph, well, they're given this, this other jolt of amazement. On top of what had been a pretty amazing nine months, the, the shepherd and the, and the wise men crowding in, uh, the, the, they go and they visit them, and now this pair of, of wise and saints come and visit them again, confirming that the baby is in fact the one that all of the world has been waiting for. Oh, and your soul will be pierced too, Mary. I don't think Simeon talked to too many newborn moms Suffice it to say, it had been a very exciting nine months for the Joseph of Nazareth family. And to me, that makes the, the next verse all the more fascinating. When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. In other words, after experiencing the miracle of God breaking into the world, they just went home. So this is Christmas. What really changed in their world? Shepherds have sheep to wrangle. Joseph has things to build, and along with Mary, he's got a child to raise. The Magi go back to their star charts. Life got on as usual. In the epilogue to the Nativity of Matthew's Gospel, we're given a very different picture of ordinary life, but it is ordinary life nonetheless. And the story centers on Herod, who goes right back to running his kingdom on fear. 
He kills all of the children in Bethlehem because he's afraid of losing his throne to another king. And so instead of going home in Matthew's gospel, Mary, Joseph, and the newborn king, they flee to Egypt as refugees. It's a picture of an ordinary life in a world held sway under the powers of sin and darkness. Sadly, that too for them was just ordinary life. So, what do we make of these visions? That God has come to provide salvation, that the kingdom is at hand in this child that was born. There were these radiant prophecies of the, of the child who would be a light to the nations, the glory of God's people. And yet to all of the world that day after the first Christmas looks just like more of the same. And I gotta wonder, what about us? We came, we celebrated Christmas again. Are the rituals just something that makes us feel better about heading into a world that still looks and feels like it's run by Herod? Are we just supposed to feel a little bit better about heading into a world that is one in which any ounce of hope and joy can get squeezed out by a relentless cycle of negative news? Well, friends, I'm here to tell you that's not actually how the story goes. Yesterday, we did celebrate the day that everything changed. And while things might look ordinary this morning, and while the morning after Christmas may have unfolded just like a matter of course for Mary and Joseph all those many years ago, from the perspective of heaven, something very different was going on after that first Christmas morning. You didn't think I was going to like let that weird reading from Revelation go to waste, did you? One of my mentors, Craig Barnes, helped me see the link between gospel and apocalypse, that they are both really about, at heart, revealing Jesus. And he points out that while John's vision doesn't have anything to do with shepherds or wise men, there is this woman who is clothed in the sun who wears a crown of 12 stars, symbolic of the tribes of Israel. And she gives birth to a child who is the Lord's Messiah. And when she does, a dragon comes descending, to, to aiming to devour the child, but God takes the child and brings him home, and the woman flees to the desert where she is looked after for three years. And John tells us that war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels trade in their harps for shining armor. And it's an image that has actually fascinated the church for centuries. And in this war, the dragon is furious. He knows he can't win, so out of desperation, he lashes out his tail, wiping out a third of the stars from the sky. And in his rage, he sets out to devour all of the children who are left kind of like a certain king, desperate to hold on to his power. It's a vision of a cosmic battle between the powers of darkness and grace for the soul of the world. From the view on the street, all that happened is that an ordinary man and an ordinary woman had an ordinary baby as they came into town. Yeah, I mean, they had some some visitors and a strange run-in at the temple, And then she took off to Egypt when she hears about Herod's anger and all this anger that he unleashes on all the children of Bethlehem. For all the world, it's just a continuation of Herod's tyranny. What about us? For us, the dragon looks like another year under the tyranny of a microscopic disease. 
or of a cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's the burden of a job you don't really want to go back to, a broken heart that is still waiting in repair. Maybe it's the burden of seeing so much injustice in the world around you and wondering, when is justice going to flow like a never-ending stream? Maybe it's a, a broken marriage in search of a miracle. But from the perspective of heaven, there was a battle going on on that first Christmas morning. And that same battle is going on in your ordinary life as well. New Testament scholar Tom Gillespie had this cartoon framed in his office. Dragon is sitting there having a a snack of a night, his armor has splayed out, and underneath there's this caption that says, no matter how hard you work, no matter how right you are, sometimes the dragon wins. He said that it was a gift from the session of his church. I've tried not to read too much into that. <laughs> but you know what it is like to feel under siege by the dragon. You know what it's like to feel like the dragon is winning. I'm reminded of something that Archbishop Desmond Tutu once said. He was once asked by a reporter how it is that he could uh, preach the gospel under the, the power and the tyranny of apartheid that was ravaging his home in South Africa. And he smiled and he said, well, I've read the rest of the story. God wins. He died this morning as one who knew hope. So friends, don't make the mistake of thinking that you woke up this morning and nothing changed. Because here's the inside scoop. The dragon does not always win. For there is one born to us who slays dragons. Anna and Simeon, they were given a glimpse of Christmas in the heavens. They saw the familiar breaking in of salvation now that God is with us. And we are invited to see what they saw, that hope was born. It's not something we have to chase after anymore. It is here with us. And hope is what allows us to be people who live out of the future, right in the very present. We get to live with expectancy of the coming good based on who Jesus is. We get to live that way based on what he came to do. And it's that God who has started the work of renewal in him, he, has, he is coming to us in Jesus' resurrection. God has done for Jesus what he is intending to do for all who follow him and indeed for all of creation coming to flourishing he is coming to bring renewal to this world. And so friends, we don't ever get to move on from Christmas. The rituals and traditions are not just about helping us you know, cope with a life that is under siege by the dragon. Whatever name that dragon goes by, no matter how real the wrath of that dragon is. No, Christmas and the rituals are designed to pull back the curtain between heaven and earth and to show us once and for all that because our Savior is born, we have every reason to hope. And after sure, the dragon's going to do its best to consume whatever hope you've got. 
But in the end, there is one who was born who will slay the dragon forever. For those of us who have eyes to see, the hope of Christmas is that nothing will ever be the same again. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to see that because of your incarnation, everything has changed. In your resurrection, you've given us a preview, a preview of the life that is to come, the revision, the renewal, the renovation of all things that you have come to establish in this world. All the pain, the sorrow, the injustices, the dragons that haunt our dreams, that cloud over our perspective. Father, help us to see that they have already been defeated in the cross of Christ. 